Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, it finally happened. What, Super Scott? Tuesday! Super Tuesday, Marisa. It's come and it's gone, although in its wake, millions of ballots yet to be counted. <laughs> As we told you, we've been saying this for weeks, it's going to take a while. Patience. And this is a feature, not a bug, of elections here in California. But even as that counting continues, Scott, the Democratic presidential primary is marching on. To talk about the results of Tuesday's election and what's next are two very special guests we have here. Politico senior writer Carla Marinucci, finally <laughs> on the breakdown. So happy to be here. I'm such <laughs> nice a fangirl of this podcast. <laughs> and we are a fan of your work as well. And of course, KQED's own politics reporter, Guy Marzarati, who is doing dual duty as always, producing and on the show today. It's an Italian combo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Marzarotti and Marinucci. Oh, yeah. oh, go. Where's my pepperoncinis? <laughs> um, well, guys, we've got a lot to talk about, but I think we should start with today's news. It's Thursday, and Elizabeth Warren is out of this race. Whoa. And to watch her, I mean, I have to say, I remember going to her rally in Oakland where she brought out 8,000 people, and she just knocked it out of the park. She seemed like, at that point, she was ahead of the game. I remember in May, too, when the convention might have been the same time, right? Yes, yes. With the Democratic convention here in San Francisco, and it really just seemed like she was really getting a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. There were people that said they were for Kamala Harris, but they were kind of winking because they really were for Elizabeth Warren. And it goes to show you, among other things, that I think you know, timing is everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and she peaked a, a little early. Primary. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think you can see kind of the trajectory for her. It really fell off right around November when we first started seeing those first head-to-head polls in battleground states with the president. And then all of a sudden, if you go to the tracking polls, kind of mid-November, it just like a cliff fell off. So it goes back, as we've talked about a million times in this election, the electability issue, whatever people associate that with, it definitely, I think, hurt Warren. Well, and yeah, also yeah. Bernie Sanders has a heart attack. And then, you know, he starts going down in the polls. She was going up, I think, at the, the, roughly the right. same time. And then AOC endorses him, and it's like the resurrection. He was back, exactly. I think a lot of women are looking at this today, though, with sort of a heavy heart because uh, that, that scene where she talked about, you know, having all those little girls out there hoping for her pinky promise. Yeah, the pinky Well, actually, we right. have um, about a minute and a half of a, a sort of an assortment of some of the things she talked about today when she was answering questions after announcing she's out. Let's listen to that. What guidance would you give to your supporters who don't know who to support now? Well, let's take a deep breath and spend a little time on that. We don't have to decide that this minute. And I wonder what your message would be to the women and girls who feel like we're left with two white men to decide between. I know. One of the hardest parts of this is all those baby promises and all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. Um, 
That's going to be hard. Yeah. I know that your campaign manager, Roger Lau, uh -huh. said on the staff call today that he had no regrets. Do you feel the same way? Oh, I do. I have no regrets at all. You know, this has been the honor of a lifetime. Uh, Ten years ago, I was teaching a few blocks from here and talking about what was broken in America and ideas for how to fix it. And pretty much nobody wanted to hear it. And I've had a chance to get out there and talk with millions of people. And you know, we have ideas now that we talk about that we just weren't talking about even a year ago. A two cent wealth tax and universal childcare that could be real, we could make it happen. And canceling student loan debt for 43 million Americans and raising social security payments. Those are life changing um, events for people. And we can actually do this. So I'm delighted to have been here and honored to have had this chance. And that was Elizabeth Warren speaking in Massachusetts. I mean, you can really hear the emotion in her voice. Let, let's talk about, you know, we'll talk about the two white men still in the race, and, and we can talk about <laughs> We'll let her the women talk about that guy. But, you know, she brought up a point that we discussed this week on Forum as well, Scott and Guy, which is this idea of how she and Bernie Sanders and other candidates have really moved the conversation in, in the Democratic Party writ large. And I do think that, you know, regardless of moving forward, that, to your point, Carla, her supporters can be really proud of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the issues that she brought forward, the student debt issue she mentioned, the wealth tax were things that were considered just out of bounds even a year ago. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren had a plan. She had so many plans. She was so thoughtful in, in so many different ways. And you're right. I mean, a lot of women are still going to say uh, sexism had a big part in the way she was treated, the way she was reported on, and uh, the way she was viewed by a lot of pundits. She, of course, is not the she's the last woman to drop out. You know, there were others, Klobuchar and Kamala. Well, no, Tulsi Gabbard's still in. We oh, Tulsi Gabbard. Okay. Oh, sorry. Oh my God, I'm going to hear <laughs> yeah, from yeah, those yeah. folks. <laughs> but, but the last I'm really just, viable. I mean, yes, Tulsi is absolutely. not. And I'm yeah. just wondering, do you think? And I'll defer to the women here. Did you do women? Did women have a special affinity? Do you think for her candidacy? I do think so. I mean, I feel like if you look at both the actual like data, we know that the, her sort of core constituency was college-educated women. And I know the numbers say white yeah. women, but from my conversations, at least in this diverse state, I actually yeah. think it's just middle-class women. Yeah. Um, and I think that you know, I think after Hillary Clinton, who was so polarizing to a lot of women um, or a lot of people, just because of the Clintons and her history. Warren was kind of in some ways like that second chance for some of these women. Yes, I agree. And I think uh, for some women, uh, the the Bernie bros sort of culture turned them off to yeah. him as a candidate. And and Elizabeth Warren took a lot of heat from them uh, on Twitter and continues elsewhere. Continues to. And I mean, continues yeah. to. Well, and I wonder that bitterness that really evidenced itself, you know, late, yeah. late the, the last debate, I think it was, you know, do you think that's going to, I mean, she didn't come out and endorse today, which you wouldn't necessarily expect her to. And if, the longer she waits, I think the worse it is for Bernie. Bernie Sanders, but do you think that that bitterness lingers in terms of her? You have to wonder about that. I mean, there's a lot of buzz about is she going to end up as a VP on somebody's ticket, and is somebody going to announce that at any point? Well, and it's so, so funny because for Super Tuesday, I think everyone assumed it would be Bernie Sanders yeah, running. Mate. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, the fact that she didn't right away, obviously, she's got she shares that lane with him, but she may not share, uh, you know, uh, a lot of common ground with him in other ways. Yeah, and, and so, I think there's other demographic considerations for. Either Biden or sure. for Yeah, for both Biden. I mean, I think beyond even just moving the party leftward, I think 
Warren can be remembered in this race really for pushing the party to policy solutions. I mean, she's been kind of aptly described as an FDR type Democrat. And I do think just from look at our inboxes the last year, how many plan proposals did we get from these candidates? She really moved that conversation towards what can government and not just her own candidacy, what can government writ large do to solve problems? But I think you've seen the power of loyalty uh, to specific candidates. I think Bernie Sanders and his core constituencies, the loyalty they had to him mm-hmm. outweighed any kind of philosophical uh, adherence that people had to, to Warren as a candidate just because of, of the solution she put forward. She did get hammered by Buttigieg in that early on about having a plan for everything except how she was yeah. going to pay for well, that was a Medicare misstep. for all. I mean, I yeah. think she did have some missteps. I mean, obviously the DNA test early on, I think that was a huge mistake. I think the way she handled Medicare wa- like could have been way better. I but don't know do that any of those... you think that people actually... I mean, I don't think, yeah, yeah, I voters think... looked at like a, a two-step rollout for Medicare for all was a reason to abandon but it her does. candidacy. Affect the momentum question, the the yeah. punditry, the way she's framed, and let's face it, yeah, most absolutely. people don't watch the debate. They they hear us talking about right. it later, and right. so it's sort of yeah. a it was the way that, it was the way she was framed in the media as sort of waffling or being uncertain about how she was going to roll that out. Kamala too, yeah, Kamala too. That hurt her also. I it, both, both, all of the, it's interesting to see how many powerful women or women who are out there in the in the world political world put themselves on, on the line for Elizabeth Warren, including Jennifer Seibel Newsom, Katie Porter was another one, Anne O'Leary. Uh, the governor's chief of staff. Katie Porter named her daughter after Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, she had big fans. Um, and I think people are going to watch now what's going to happen to her, whether she does end up on a yeah. ticket. And I just have to say, I mean, I think in this day and age, and I don't think this is unique on the Democratic side, but for all of her, any missteps or, or any questions, I, I, I just, I have to say, I think gender played a huge role in the way she was perceived, mm-hmm. covered. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, everything. Yes. And, and you can't get away from that. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's take a short break, and when we get back, we'll talk about who's still in the race. (laughs) You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I am Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. And today we are chewing over all those election happenings with Color Marinucci. She is a senior writer at Politico and Guy Marzarati, KQED politics reporter. And guys, before we left, we were uh, talking about Elizabeth Warren. And, and, and before we move on to the nitty gritty, there was this viral moment that happened 
involving two other very powerful women on uh, Tuesday night, which was uh, at Joe Biden's speech in L.A. Oh, yeah. Uh, this vegan set of vegan activists jumped up. And um, who, lo and behold, who gets to them first? Not any, like, huge, beefy security guards. Jill but Jill Biden, Biden and Simone, Simone Sanders. Sanders, Sanders yeah. With, yeah. Wow. That was a WWF moment. That was, like, takedown. It was kind of like uh, Kamala's husband. Remember in that uh, yeah, actually, yeah. event in San Francisco? Group. It's yeah. the same group. I, what was what's interesting about this is these the same group also came to the Bernie Sanders rally right. in Their Rich, equal opportunity in Richmond where they were topless. <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't do that to Joe Biden, <laughs> which could have been a real viral moment. I mean, it was. But I mean, what's so what was astounding about that moment is how close they got to him. I mean, mm-hmm. it could have been. A disastrous thing for Biden. Right. Had they knocked him off the stage? Well, or you know what this I mean, reminds me of is remember Ace Smith last week talking about how it's like you as somebody like a family member, a husband, a wife. Like it's even harder to watch, you know, somebody be attacked. Or and I think that's true if it's like literal, literal yeah. as well, right? Because Doug, <laughs> yeah, Doug has husband. husband. No, he grabbed and, them and too. And Biden, I mean, she and her just body. Anyway, go watch the clip. It's funny. <laughs> it's a great clip. But let's talk. Let's talk about the, what actually happened. So you know. California gave Bernie Sanders his one really, really big win of the night, um, which was a real contrast to what we saw across the country, um, especially, I think, in southern states with huge black Democratic populations. Um, Are you guys surprised? Well, I mean, I think uh, Bernie Sanders owes a lot of thanks to the Associated Press because we saw in this newsroom 8.01 p.m. The polls closed. I don't even know if it was 8.01. Maybe it was was 8 o'clock. Seconds after, (laughs) the AP calls the race for Bernie Sanders. But none of the networks did that night. And the New York Times still hasn't. So if you're watching this on TV, you're seeing results roll in massive wins for Biden on the East Coast in Virginia, North Mm -hmm. Carolina, southern states. And you're not seeing any big wins uh, for Bernie Sanders. And I think that it, it plays into the Joe Mentum uh, that's building for, you know, if you're an audience member watching this race and you're seeing early results come in, it, you know, people probably went to bed thinking yeah. Bernie really won nothing on Super But what's interesting, I think, is remember that a lot, millions of ballots still haven't been counted in California and the the number is closing. The latest polls in that race showed Bernie with a, almost a two to one lead over mm-hmm. everyone else. It's now down to about eight points and shrinking. Yeah. We'll see how far ahead he gets he may not end up with that many delegates ahead of joe biden yeah it's not like the old days of winner take all that's for sure but you know i was thinking the day after the election there was a lot of consternation and understandably so about these two big you know white states iowa and new hampshire having such a big impact but if you think about it it was really voters of color in this race it was you know in nevada it was latinos for sanders and then bernie I mean, uh, and then African-American voters for Joe Biden in South Carolina and, and throughout the South. So and here in California, Latino voters really came out big for uh, for Sanders, but, especially younger ones. You but know, so. What's so I think it's what's so interesting is Bernie worked his state big time. He did four major events in the last week alone. He and, and when it came to retail, there was nobody like him. You were at that rally uh, a guy with me in, in San Jose. I mean, 10,000 people showing up at these rallies. They were huge. And Guy and, was impressed by just what it looked like. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, was. it was incredible. And and you look at the in in that rally and others, the youth turnout, young Latinos. I mean, the kind of coalition you would see that you usually don't see at a political rally. But when it came to who actually came to the polls, it was another underwhelming performance for it, young voters, exactly. which is really 
Bernie Sanders' roadmap, both in the primary and then in a hypothetical race against Trump, was to be able to bring a historic youth turnout. That simply has not well, happened yet. Yeah, and ironically, the states where turnout was way up, like in, I think, Texas and Virginia, they came out for Biden. You know, it wasn't well, the young Yeah, voters. which I think, like, sort of raises this really interesting question, because I, I think those of us who have been watching this, um, you know, the, you can make an argument for and against the electability or the, you know, the chances against Trump for any of these folks. And I think, you know, with Sanders, there's open questions about his ability to unite the party. Party, um, whether he can actually get out, you know, younger people. Um, but we've heard so much. And of course, with Biden, it's the gaffes and the things we're already seeing right. Trump going after. But it, it is so interesting. And I thought um, there was a very um, a, a good column in The New York Times by Mara Gay, where she went to the South and talked to black voters and, you know, just talked about four people who had lived through the civil rights movement, who still live in a place with Confederate flags up, that it, it's it's not as theoretical as it might be if you are sitting in California. California and you are um, somebody, you know, on the left who feels and not to say it's yeah. theoretical for everyone here, because obviously the immigration racism issues is racism. and things right. and racism. But like it is a different calculation, I think, for voters who it, totally right. Yeah. And I think we saw an, an example of this on Election Day when Biden showed up in Oakland at the at the diner uh, near Jack London Square. You had some of the Bernie people out front chanting uh, racist, racist. And you had the African-American supporters of Biden there say, chanting, we know Joe. So, I mean, it, it was a, it was a visible, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Those those Bernie bros, you know, yeah. they really have turned off a lot of people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And, and in Biden's case, maybe mobilized. People. Yeah, I, I think I think so. At one point in the in that um, appearance in, in Jack London Square, Biden was going through the diner, you know, sitting in the booths with people. And there was one of the Bernie supporters there holding up a sign against the window, which you could see right in front of Biden that said, Joe is senile. And a lot of people mm. in that diner were like, oh, come on. <sighs> yeah, no, I really? Mean, I do think a lot of the blame in this case has to be put on the candidate. I mean, Bernie Sanders had a window in here in which he became kind of the front runner in this race. And you were there listening to his mm. comments in San Jose. There was really no evidence that he saw himself as someone with a responsibility to bring together the Democratic Party. I mean, yeah. he, you know, I, there was some people floated an idea a couple of weeks back after he had that huge win in Nevada of, oh, maybe Bernie Sanders should come out and lay out who would be in his administration, almost to placate fears that mm -hmm. it would be, you know, Nina Turner as secretary of state or something. But <laughs> that didn't happen. I mean, there wasn't, there, you know, that might have been a, a good idea, even in just signaling. So much of, of national politics is signaling things to voters. He never really made that transition in the window that he had. And if you listen to his speech on Tuesday night, it was very much still in that same line of, you know, this is... I'm taking what, on everybody. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah. I have a hard time blaming his supporters for, for alienating. No, but I, think I do think the candidate... That, yeah. You set the tone. You set yeah. the tone. Yeah. Well, no. and that could play a role in, you know, we talk about Warren dropping out, um, other, you know, support consolidating. I think both the polls have showed us that people are not as, like, purely ideological as we often talk about them as being, but also just that, you know, I, I do think there are going to be women out there who are not, who may agree more it's, with Bernie Sanders' message, who might not be super I stoked on the idea of that. That's right. You know. And I think I think there are a lot of Democrats out there. It rankled them to hear Bernie Sanders say, as he did in San Jose, that the Democratic Party is not the party of the working people. Or right. uh, tweeting, as he did recently, uh, I have a message for the Democratic establishment. You're not going to stop us. Yeah. You know, I remember asking Nancy Pelosi here in town, is, is he talking to you? Well, and I, I, I think it's, <laughs> and in the end, it's 
just really accrued to Biden's advantage. You know, well, it, yeah, and it really, I think that's why the the pins fell as quickly as yeah. they did, is because there was a lot of concern what was going to happen down ballot and how hard would he yeah, work. That's right. All right, if you're just joining us, I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. You are listening to Political Breakdown, and we are talking with Carla Marinucci of Politico and KQD's Guy Marzarotti about the election. Well, let's talk about Biden because, as I mentioned, I mean, he still has all of those problems that existed before oh, Super yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, his yeah. gaffes. His he does age. sound a little more energetic. He does. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I think that there's a question, too, about his ability to unite this party, given the sense that, you know, they're like the debate leading up to Super Tuesday has always been, do Democrats go after those, you know, white voters they lost to Trump or do they try to bring out more people? Well, I and think, I think the answer is probably both if you're looking at the numbers. And like, can he do that? I think well, certainly I think he's going to br- he is going to bring in some of those moderate Republicans. I do. I mean, I, my sister is one of those swing voters. She's my yeah. my yeah. Uh, one person, uh, one person focus <laughs> group. And she's like so excited now for Joe Biden. But, I, you know, I do think that we've seen as you we talked about the African-American vote really coming out. And I'm sure although, you know, Barack Obama is really sitting on his hands right now because he doesn't want to get his hands dirty uh, and and put his thumb on the scale to use all my hand <laughs> metaphors that I possibly can in this coronavirus environment. <laughs> hand Don't washing. Touch Don't touch your face. Uh, <laughs> put his elbow on the scale. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, but, and I think he will, as, as will other, you know, establishment folks, really work to unite the party. And I think Bernie Sanders will, too, in the but end. I just, if he, if he I, doesn't I, get the I nomination. I think Sanders will, but I also wonder if, you know, I think that there is that question of excitement and younger voters and voters totally. of color who are not, you know, not just black voters. And I do think that that's going to be a challenge. Especially in California. Remember, Joe Biden pretty much ceded the whole state to Bernie Sanders. He Until Election Day, he had never done a campaign event in Northern California. A lot of those younger voters, he's going to have to fire them out, particularly those grassroots Democratic voters. Remember, they didn't endorse Dianne Feinstein in <laughs> right. this they, party. They booed her. Yeah, they booed her. <laughs> and, and that was one of the reasons I understand why Biden really kind of decided, you know what, I'll campaign elsewhere. California is very expensive. It's not my kind of state. Right. But what have we seen carry over from 2018? It's that OC coalition, basically, suburban voters yeah. who yes. historically maybe have voted Republican crossing over and in and primaries like South Carolina pro- crossing over to vote for Democrats still not happy with President Trump. And I think they've shown that no matter who they vote for, they will vote. And that's some, not something yeah. you can say about younger voters. Although if you look at the, you know, the colorized map that the secretary of state has, it is all Bernie. There's like five counties that yes. uh, Joe Biden did well in. And they're like, you know, Calaveras and Which Alpine. Which is a very like blunt <laughs> instrument because it's either you won or you didn't. It is. But, right. Yeah. But, no, but actually, yeah. I wondered about that because even in those competitive congressional districts in California, Bernie Bernie has won all of those. And so I wonder, is that an instance of Republicans or moderate not crossing over and voting in a Democratic primary? I mean, I think gotta, that may change as more votes come yeah, in, to Carla's yeah, point. But, but I do, yeah, I do think, though, too, I mean, just to wrap this up, I think debate debate prep, I think Biden yes. needs to work on his debate performances. Yeah. And I think that, you know, his campaign, um, if, if, if they'll they, you know, might need to take this help from the Bluebird campaign, which has been putting out some pretty amazing digital ads uh, hitting Trump. The amount of ads that he had out there was so amazing that in the final days when Gavin Newsom was campaigning for Prop 13 in Oakland, I was there, the kids rushed him and said, are you Mike Bloomberg? They had seen so many Bloomberg ads. All right. Well, let's talk about a couple of state issues. Um, Proposition 13, this is a 15, the property tax measure. Yeah, right. The $15 billion <laughs> school bond. It is not looking good for it, although we should say it could, the, yeah, the could, votes could, could flip. Change, we, we don't know for sure. But um, 
to, to Scott's point, there's been a lot of conversation about whether people are confused that this would be change the original, the OG Prop 13. <laughs> yeah, the OG um, Prop. Questions about whether we should retire proposition numbers. What do you yeah, guys well, think? Bond measures put on the ballot by the legislature d- generally do pretty well. I mean, this was a and it could get close. It yeah. will get closer, yeah. but it pretty you know resounding defeat. And I I don't know. We we've been talking for days in the newsroom about whether people were confused and thought it was Prop 13, the the you know the old 1978 measure, which there will be something about on the November ballot. Right. So and like, they, what right. does this mean for that? What does it mean right. for that? And you know maybe it's time to do the Joe Montana, Steve Young, retire the jersey. Right. So like, what, retire. What, would, what would be in your pantheon? 13, 187, 227, maybe. Yeah. yeah. 209. No, I, I think 209. 98. I think voters were confused. 98. 98. 98. I think voters were confused in some respects. You know, the Howard Jarvis Association uh, put out there that it was going to have an effect on your property taxes. I I was out there in the final days as Newsom was campaigning for it, uh, trying to get the word out that this was going to help, you know, elementary schools and colleges. Don't you think the final days is the key word there? Because I do not feel, I know they spent some money, but I didn't see it. No. And and in a year when it was so dominated by Bloomberg and The last day before is when I saw him out yeah. there um and and that's that was part of it some people also thought the fact that it, it, it included colleges and universities that was too big of a mm. uh of a, of a bite for a lot of uh people to take i saw some ads with newsom in it i almost wonder considering they had no opposition spending why they didn't incorporate some kind of message in the ads to, to the effect of this has nothing to do with the original prop 13 <laughs> like why not just <laughs> put that out there i think they probably also don't want to undercut themselves when they're about to turn around and ask people to repeal part of Prop 13. (laughs) And I will say I'm not sure that this bodes super well for that. But I also think, like, there could also just be a level of, like, there's only one ballot measure. I almost wonder, you know, we often talk about there being too many. I feel like so much attention was paid to the presidential race, and a lot of people got to their ballot, and we were like, yes, "Eh, no. I I completely agree with you. I think that that's what happened in a big – because there wasn't a lot of coverage on it. It was all the attention was on everything else. And people go, no, if they don't know. If they don't know what to do, they go, no. Well, there were local bond measures, too, you know, in San Francisco, which did pass. Oh, but this is San Francisco. We're yeah. in like commune. It's We're like in Fidel Castro here, basically. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you look at the numbers, yeah, it's pretty yeah, insane. Yeah. Um, all right, we have four or five minutes left. Let's talk about these congressional districts. So, as most of our uh, you know loyal listeners know, Dems flipped seven seats in 2018. Um, at least four of those are being targeted. Uh, I'll just go through them really quick. Um, in no particular order, uh, District 25, which was Katie Hill's district, she resigned. There will be a runoff between uh, Mike Garcia, who was the sort of favorite GOP candidate of the party and Assemblywoman Christy Smith, um, both to fill out Katie Hillstrom and to replace her, not to get confusing. Uh, 50, Duncan Hunter's seat, no election to replace him because he resigned late, uh, even though he knew he was going to plead guilty to those corruption charges. (laughs) This will be um, a runoff between Amar Kampanajar, who had uh, gone after Hunter a couple years ago, and Daryl Issa, former uh, richest man in Congress, who resigned his Mm -hmm. seat when it became clear he wasn't going to win it over on the coast. And then we got three in um, Orange County, or no, wait, sorry, two in Orange County, Gil Cisneros and Harley Ruda are going to both be facing off against uh, young Asian women who have been very popular yeah. down there. Young it's a rematch Kim, for Cisneros. yeah, Cisneros um, and Michelle Steele, county supervisor for Ruta, and then that one in the Central Valley, T.J. Cox's seat at David Valadeo. Killed him. I think in that's early the one. Return. That's the really the most. He's always been the most vulnerable Democrat. Yeah. I yes. think of those flips. And it's so interesting because that's the only one I think 
or one of the only ones where Democrats have a pretty clear registration advantage, and yet people love Valadeo, it seems. Yeah, yeah, I think the Democrats have got to be a little nervous about what they're seeing based on the returns for all of these. The the, um, the 25th with Christy Smith and uh, Garcia, that could maybe go back. To, I mean, the I think the Republican votes there outweighed the Democratic votes uh, on the 50th. Daryl Issa, that, he's going to be, that is a solidly Republican seat. And well-funded. And I mean, well-funded, and he's going to be, and, he, and he's got big... Big uh, endorsers, Newt Gingrich, etc. I'm cetera. sure Trump will endorse right. him. Yeah. Don't and you Trump- find it funny, though, with the ISA district? I mean, we've seen in the past few years district attorneys around the state try to put state legislators in jail over not living in their district. <laughs> ISA, like, waltzes down from the coast, does not live in the 50th district. Voters don't really. Well, and so did T.J. Cox. Remember, right. he was going to yeah. run against uh, yeah. Jeff Denham originally yeah, in the tenth, no. and then he moved yeah. down the down yeah, the yeah, down the ninety nine or the I five to run against Valadeo. Yeah. So, so uh, in a bunch of these seats, you, you've got to be thinking that the Democrats must be a sigh of relief there about Bernie Sanders because that those, these are purple seats where, with a lot of conservative voters who may have. It's not over yet, though. I mean, no, it's, it's not, not over yet. Morning. One it's interesting race, yet. and you wrote about yeah. it today, Carla, is Chad Mays who switched left the Republican Party right. in the Assembly running for re-election, was, was running against the... He was kind of kicked out. He was kind of kicked <laughs> out, yeah, yeah after, uh, after, after he worked with, with the Democrats, Democrats to extend <laughs> yeah, yeah, cap and that. trade. But right. he uh, came in first, barely, in that race. The Republican behind him and then very close behind the Republican was the Democrat. Right. So there will be a runoff, top two with a, a, a no-party preference, Chad Mays, and the Republican. That'll be an interesting uh, I mean, race. do you guys feel like any of these... It, it's so hard to tell because the primary electorate, even in a Democratic primary year like this, is generally so more different. conservative, is a different crowd... Um, I feel like it's really hard to look at these districts and draw any conclusions about what it means for either party in the fall. Yeah, well, I, yeah. this is going to be a, an absolute battle going to the fall. I know so much is about turnout, uh, and the Democrats are really working it. But, you know, uh, Jessica Milan patterson uh, the, uh, the, the um, Republican chair, she is being very, very aggressive about trying to turn out voters down there and not let the Democrats do ballot harvesting, et cetera. Oh, no, so, well, she's, well, they've actually said we're going to embrace that. Yeah, they're if We don't like the rule, but we yeah, got to play yeah, by yeah, it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the Democrats are going to be mobilized because just to vote against Trump. But, you know, in places like Orange County, Trump's not that popular, really. So no. it's not going to be, yeah. and there's no gas tax repeal on the ballot, you know. So I don't know. They might might be a little easier than it would be otherwise if they were, you know, like George Bush was on the ballot. Yeah, or but I think like in, the, in the Hunter seat, you know, a lot of people were hoping Devin Nunes might be taken out. No, it's not going to happen, I don't think. No. Uh, you know, yeah. well, maybe the, well, the Hunter seat is always a, always yeah, a reach. Seat, that's a reach. So yeah, that's. Right. A, I mean, that's. The, yeah, I think Final that, that'll, Guy that'll be the most difficult uh, for Democrats. Mark Campajari, even as he's made a kind of a rightward turn uh, in this race, the registration is just not there. All not right. gonna happen. We're gonna leave it there. That is it. Carla Marinucci, thank you for finally coming so on. So much fun. Good thank you for having me, <laughs> Guy Marzarati. Good work this week. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It is a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer and guest is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Rob Spate. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Jonathan Blakely, and Julie Kane. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.